Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. The digital revolution is booming. It has taken us all in new directions. And one of our favorite guests, Christopher Lockhead, is here to talk about some new things that he's finding out about how media, other things going on, and category pirates, his new passion, his new business, how things are going there. Christopher, welcome. Always great to have you. Bob Evans, I love you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I love you back, my friend. Good to have you here. So, Chris, usually you send over like a page, a page and a half of notes. Now, today it's six pages. Clearly, you've got something on your mind. Tell us about that. Yes. So um, let's just think about um, some of the things that the pandemic has created on the positive side. And I by no means want to downplay the horrible pain that we've all suffered. But on the positive side, there's a stunning effect of the pandemic, which is it has created a global existential set of questions for almost everybody around their life design. Millions of people around the world are asking very similar questions. Why do I do what I do? Why do I live where I live? Am I making a difference? Does my work matter? How do I think about my professional and personal life? work from home and all of the, all that's been blurred. Um, am I making the money that I think I should make? Or what's the trade-off between making money and some other things in my life? Maybe, just maybe, Bob, money isn't the end-all be-all for everybody. And so being locked in our homes, seeing the pain and suffering, having radical transformation in the way work gets done has brought these um, seminal life design questions, these existential questions, and we're all going through it at the same time. So as a result, there's this thing that some people are calling the YOLO economy that's emerging. YOLO standing for you only live once. And best we could tell the phrase originally created from, you know, many, many of the greatest thinking that's ever been done, uh, which of course comes from the Grateful Dead. Uh, drummer Mickey Hart originally coined the term, best we can tell. And more recently, um, Canadian, might I add, legendary uh, hip-hop uh, phenom, Drake, did a very popular song about YOLO as well, You Only Live Once. And he's, I heard he's Canadian. He's very, very Canadian. And not only is he an incredible musical talent and, 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 and so forth, he's also a very good-looking man, wouldn't you say <laughs> I, I only see him at uh, on the, his front row seats at the basketball game. So uh, I can, he, he's an enthusiastic fan for sure. Yes. So, so this YOLO thing is interesting. Now, um, fairly recently, there were some big articles that came out, one in the journal, one in the economist and so forth. And uh, so we at Category Pirates, my newsletter, uh, wrote a big piece on the YOLO economy. And I want to share with you some of the key elements sure. of it. So um, there's some pretty surprising, I would even say stunning data. You know, I always come with data. There was a study done by Microsoft not long ago that says that 40% of the global workforce is considering leaving their employer this year, 2021. In addition, there's a, um, uh, a quote-unquote anonymous social network for tech workers called Blind. And they did a similar study and they found that 49%, which when you round it up for marketing purposes is half, Yes, 49% <laughs> of their users say they're planning to land a new position in 2021. So we're now seeing, you know, reasonably credible research being done um, by major organizations here saying a, a huge percentage of people are considering changing jobs. And we at Category Pirates believe that's because of what's happened in the pandemic. We're all asking these questions. And I think it has profound impact for all of us in our careers. Because I think the old paradigm, the one that you and I grew up with, which is get a good job, steady paycheck, nice car, picket fence, maybe make some babies with somebody you'll want to squeeze some out with. <laughs> And do what, uh, speaking of Canadian musicians, do what the 80s rock band Loverboy called working for the weekend. Everybody's working mm -hmm. for the weekend. You know, for all the criticism of, of um, 
uh, millennials and now Gen Z, they're saying, you know, fuck that. And a lot of people our age and older are also saying, you know what? This bullshit that I'm going to work for 30, 40 years, whatever it is, 50, whatever it is, and my reward for this work is I get to retire at 60 or 65 or whatever, and then enjoy, you know, the back couple holes of the golf game of my life. That's kind of bullshit. Why wouldn't I want to love my whole life? And so what we think this indicates, Bob, is a breakthrough in thinking, what you might call life design. People want what I believe is maybe the most powerful driver of human uh, endeavor, which is agency, the ability to choose. The American dream, in many ways, is centered on freedom. And there's freedom as a country, but freedom is, is about personal freedom. And from a career and work perspective, what does agency or freedom really mean? The ability to choose what we do, when we do it, and with whom we do it, and how we are valued for the contributions and ideally the difference that we make. And most importantly, if we shift our mindset from the reward for a career is retiring to the reward for a career is the journey. The journey is the destination. The reward is in the doing, right? Pablo Picasso's reward wasn't the money he made at the end of his career. His reward was he got to make art. One of my favorite quotes of all time is Walt Disney. We do not make movies to make money. We make money so we can make movies. And so this is the seminal awakening that is coming. Um, the great sort of um, uh, personal life and career redesign that many people are thinking about right now. Well, Chris, I was going to ask, because I know at the very beginning, you mentioned the thing of life design. So I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about that. But also, as you were going through that, I, I don't know, I would be interested to know, um, there's certainly some big percentage of people overall who've been sort of in that trap that you described, right? Like, oh, God, you know, back to the salt mine I go and, uh, you know, you do the work, you labor away and, you know, you hope at some point you end up with enough money saved up, like you said, to play the last back two holes in the great game of life the way you want to. But um, I don't, I would sense too that there's been a change for a lot of people over the last 10, 15, 20 years of trying to say, I want to try to build the something where I'm, I'm extracting that meaning as I go along. But I think in the larger sense, what you're saying is, you know, whatever those numbers were, we all went through this meat grinder over the last 15 months. And that was something that accelerated, intensified, you know, pushed to the front center of our brain. This is what's happening. What do you choose to do about it? Go back to the old way? Fine. That's a choice. You want to do something quite different? Now is the time. And the, I think it's, uh, it, it sort of really, really nailed it for everybody. And I think it's interesting as well, if you talk about this a little, that uh, companies are, real, are realizing as well here, I, I can't just piddle around. I can't say, well, we'll have a beer break uh, the last Friday of every month and I'll give everybody a day off for mental health and then we'll be fine. It's, it's a wildly different world coming in that direction. Well, and to multiply your point, Fairly recently, and uh, I found this very fascinating, uh, your friend, the CEO of Google, came out and said, and I'm paraphrasing, but I'm going to get this almost right, that in order to do innovative breakthrough work, people have to be physically together. And so we are requiring everybody at Google to come back. Well, after he said that, I thought, well, isn't it fascinating that Google is run by a native analog. A meaningful percentage of their employees are native digital. And he is now taking a native analog approach to the future of work. They're never going to be able to hire another uh, native digital with any kind of leverage ever again. And very quickly, within a matter of weeks, Bob, he changed his position. <laughs> because of this idea of YOLO, because of this idea, people want agency. And even when they work for one of the highest paying, most uh, 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 held in highest esteem companies in the tech world, 
They say, you know what? Fuck you, Google. My agency is worth more than your job. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to impose your native analog broken old paradigm on my future, you can go fuck yourself. And there was such a backlash that the CEO of one of the five most powerful tech companies on the planet had to publicly come out and go, whoops, just kidding. <laughs> we, we like to, uh, you know, keep our minds open, our eyes open, our ears open to what people are saying. We changed our mind. Yeah, it was, it happened pretty quickly. Well, Chris, you know, uh, that thing about agency, uh, this is three years ago, maybe, but um, I was invited by Microsoft to sit in on this lunch. They had some entrepreneurs, they had some business people there, just a a mix of all sorts of different folks. And uh, one person at this lunch was really hung up on this thing. She said, well, I, I think the government should get in and be more forceful about you know, closing down coal mines and said, we'll take those coal miners and we'll teach them how to write code. And, you know, I listened to some of this going on and I finally said, what if the coal miner enjoys being a coal miner? But if it's by choice, somebody says, this is what I I like to do. My father did it. Maybe my uncle's grandfather, you know, who knows? They like it. And they just were looking at me like I was crazy. And I asked them, did you ever know a coal miner? Did you ever know anybody who worked in a steel mill? Did you ever know anybody, you know, who built hard, heavy, dirty stuff all day long. They didn't. So somewhere between this uh, sort of paternalistic, you know, we're going to take everybody and there's this external movement to come in and make life better for everybody else. That too, I hope, you know, (laughs) gets tossed out and it's allowing people to do stuff. You want to work in one of these tough, hard industries? You want to be a farmer? Is there a harder more difficult, demanding physically and mental, mentally, more demanding job in the world than being a farmer? I don't think so. But that's what people choose to do. So I'm with you, Chris, on embracing that personal agency, make the choice, go where you want to go, do what you want to do and get a lot of these sort of goody goody types off our backs, let the corporate people make the uh, decisions and the policies they want, and they will live or die based on the wisdom of those things and the degree of freedom that they give others going forward. And just to pile on, you know what? There are people whose identity is deeply rooted in being a farmer. I happen to know and love one deeply. He's a 90-year-old Italian-American immigrant who happens to be my father-in-law. And his, his peach orchard and stone fruit orchard in san jose california is the last working commercial orchard in san jose and this 90 year old person is as vital as any alive thriving person you ever met and i would posit to you that he has given a massive gift to the community from a marketing point of view you know what our differentiator is it's our tagline. And you know what the tagline is? Farm is called J&P Costantino Farm. And the tagline is, since 1945. <laughs> we are on the sixth generation of Costantinos working this land. That farm keeps him alive. And the community does not view us as a business. They cherish this little orchard, this little barely two acre orchard, like they cherish a, a wonderful state park. And so, yes, anybody who wants to tell my father-in-law what he can and can't do can go F themselves. This is his agency. This yeah. is his life design. And you know what? The whole family is honored and joyful, although sometimes it's fucking hard sweat work, I'll tell you, <laughs> yeah. to participate yeah. with him in it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I, Chris, and, you know, I just have to mention, since you brought up your father-in-law, you know, United States Marine, went out, spent, you know, some prime years of his life defending his country, putting himself at great danger, you know, some beyond that. He comes back to us, could have done anything he wanted, right? Anything he wanted. What did he choose? He chose this fantastic thing that goes on. It's wonderful. And so I just... I just wanted to bring this up because I love the idea of where you're going on this. I hope that uh, it will 
relieve some people this from this notion of saying i know bet i know what's better for other people than this and because that is it's profoundly wrong and any sort of these policies that go into workplace it should be more and more of what you're saying of how do you help encourage people choose the path you want uh, go at it go hard go eager we're going to make it relatively easy for you to get through and do those things to be an entrepreneur and you don't have to spend you know, half your time dealing with state agencies and local agencies and figuring out blah, 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 blah. So let's clear, um, have public policy be aligned to let people go embrace their dreams, pursue their dreams, do what they want to do instead of trying to craft us all, you know, we need 10% to do this and 6% to do that. Get the hell out of here. That's mindless. So I'm all for your personal agency and the YOLO. Raise the flag. So the question then becomes, okay, smarty pants. I want to YOLO with you and design my life and get more agency. But uh, as, uh, as George W. Bush said, it can be very difficult to uh, put food on the family. Um, and so there's a reality called like, ta-da, the rent and the car payment and, and you know, pay for kids college if you're trying to do that or whatever the things that we got to do, right? And this is the excuse we give for allowing ourselves to surrender our agency. So here's a different way to think about it. It's what we like to call your personal IPO. So if you think about a startup, the IPO day is a big day because this is the day you go from being private to public. And it's sort of the day you grow up as a business, as a startup, and particularly in the tech world, but in, in really in any world. So let's talk about what the equivalent of that might be for people in their careers. So a personal IPO is, is defined as a strategy for finding deeply meaningful work, living a happy and successful and highly profitable life. Okay, well, that sounds like kumbaya, lockhead, you're on the West Coast and, you know, all right. The real issue is how can we successfully take control of our lives, take, decide that we are the decider, decide that we have dominion over our lives, that we have agency. So we think there's three seminal questions that you have to ask. And frankly, people around the world are asking, which is number one, how much is agency worth to you? You made this trade. You have, when, when did you leave the corporate environment and launch Cloud Wars and all the other stuff, Bob? Uh, almost five years ago. I was 60 yeah. years old. So at 60, you conducted what now we think of as a personal IPO. And you got to answer three questions. If you're going to do this, you're going to, you're going to drive agency and create a personal IPO. The first one is how much is agency worth to you? Because as my old buddy, Jay Larson used to say, everything in life is a give to get, mm -hmm. right? The second, which is less obvious. And the third, which may be a little less obvious is who's your Archimedes and who's your auctioneer. Mm -hmm. So let's dig into it. So agency. Agency is about declaring dominion. I'm the decider. Agency is about saying, I'm going to work for something. Now, paycheck might be part of it, of course. We've got to put food on the family. But maybe it's possible for us to work for something greater than a paycheck, a couple weeks off, and the occasional mediocre to shitty uh, raise. And the reward being you get to retire at the end. Fuck that. So. We say we're gonna, we are going to do work that matters. There's going to be no such thing as work-life balance because if you love what you do, you love what you do. Mm -hmm. And you're doing some professional things sometimes. You're doing some personal things. And, and listen, are you and I professional colleagues? Yes, we are. We have been for longer than probably both of us would like to admit. And I consider you a brother. So what's that? It's a completely blurred relationship as it should be, mm -hmm. right? Because when you work with people you love on shit that you love, as many, many legendary artists and creators over time have said, it doesn't feel like work. You never work a day in your life. Now, the question is, well, how do you do that while at the same time being able to have some leverage and being able to monetize yourself and monetize your potential going forward? So the first is, thinking about dominion over your life and your work. Now to get there, the second two questions, who's your Archimedes? 
So Archimedes famously said, famously said, if you give me a lever and a place to stand, I can move the world. And so what the vast majority of people fail to understand about personal freedom and career, career agency is you don't need everybody to agree with what you're doing. You don't need everybody, anybody to approve. Your, your lever or lever, are you a lever or a lever, Bob? I'm a lever guy, Chris, but I, I love levers too. And I won't leave any lever lovers either. This 50 ways to love your lever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Catch the fever. Get the lever. So for those of us who want to begin to have dominion and agency, often all we need to do is find one person. Now, if we're leaving the corporate environment and our personal IPO is doing what you did, doing what I did, doing what many are doing, which is going solo uh, in one way or another or going small, uh, what my what my buddy uh, Kevin Maney calls in his legendary book uh, unscaled, you know, where we're not going to be part of some big cog. We're going to do this thing. Uh, somebody I know wrote a book called Niche Down to focus on this kind of idea, right? Um, and in order to do that, if you're going to go solo, if you're going to niche down, um, you just need one person. Maybe it's your first client. Maybe, um, maybe it's a banker who's willing to extend you a small loan that you might need to give you a cushion. Uh, maybe it's your crazy uncle who's willing to support you in some way. Maybe it's a friend or a family member who, uh, if you're a younger person, you can't afford to do this and pay the rent, gives you a place to stay for six months or a year while you get your footing. All of us can find a person who is willing to help us what I love today, I love to call it, if you're lucky enough to get to the top of a mountain, throw down a rope mm -hmm. and look for that person who will throw down the rope. Uh, recently, I've been working with this legendary um, younger uh, entrepreneur named Brittany Fuse. And Brittany is the founder of the world's first organic flax milk. And she was having some health problems and she was trying to get healthy. And so she was making some radical changes in her diet. And she learned about how powerful flax is. This is one of the most powerful kind of quote unquote superfoods and omega threes and all these things that anyway, so she starts like, like a lot of legendary entrepreneurs, she starts playing around in, in her kitchen and she concocts this kind of idea. So she walks into a whole foods in she's the founder of this company called Malibu milk. She walks into the whole foods in, in the part of LA she's living in. And she asks, the guy, you know, filling the shelves. Hey, um, if I wanted to get a product in here, what would I do? Well, guess what happens? Ultimately, handful of weeks later, she gets a meeting with the Southern California buyer of new products for Whole Foods. She has no product. She has no company. She has an early concoction or, or a couple in her kitchen. She gets the meeting a lot sooner than she expects to. She even shared with me, Bob, that she, she considered canceling the meeting and her friends told her under no circumstances. <laughs> so she does what everybody who creates their personal IPO ultimately has to do. She musters the courage to go in and in this case, to meet her Archimedes. She gives the buyer some samples. She has a conversation. The buyer says, this is great. We'll give you your first order. We're your customer. And so your own Archimedes can be, can show up in many ways, but she just needed one person. Many people in her life thought this was a stupid per thing for her to do. She was working in marketing for Yelp. She had no background that would suggest that she could create one of the greatest new categories and companies in, in the beverage space. And yet here she is. That was her Archimedes. Now, for some of us who are not going solo, we make the mistake of submitting to being a candidate. And when we're a candidate, we surrender our agency and dominion. We become like a muscle man in a bikini contest with a number on our, on our butt. And we play a comparison game. And the, quote, hiring manager sets the game and sets this pay. And you either meet their spec or you don't. And you surrender your dominion, you surrender your agency when you submit 
to being a candidate. However, once you sort of begin to understand this concept of who's my Archimedes, you probably know some people, even if you're very early in your career, some of those people might be willing to throw down a rope. And if you build your own station, you become your own platform, you do as my friend Isaac Morehouse, the founder of crash.co says, you be your own credential, mm -hmm. you find your Archimedes. And maybe you have a friend who knows somebody who's a senior executive somewhere that maybe you're interested in. Or maybe just a, a friend of yours just got a job at a wonderful company and they advocate for you. And instead of you submitting to a process and a job spec and a salary, they say, hey, we know this wonderful person, Bob Evans. And you know, I'm not sure they, they'd be right for you, but man, this guy's got some incredible, incredible drive, incredible talent, incredible insight. And I think you should look at him. Oh, okay. Tell me about him. Da, 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 da. And then they might say, oh, you know, how much do you think he, he might be? And they say, well, you know, he's in high demand. You know, it's going to take some meaningfully big number than you might otherwise take. And so in that case, that person, that advocate for you becomes your Archimedes. And even in cases where, um, um, even in cases where you can't find one, if you look hard enough, you will. And what you're doing when you do this, and we'll get to this more on this concept in a second, is you're also looking for somebody, a client like Whole Foods, or a potential employer who's willing to be thoughtful about bringing you on in something uh, more powerful than a stupid bikini contest. You're also looking for somebody who is willing to invest in your potential, not your past. Yeah. Chris, let's get on that potential thing, not your past in a second here, but I just wanted to offer a quick word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game. Uh, Chris, if I may just interject here for a second. Uh, this, this uh, I think one of the most useless pieces of baggage or pieces of collected junk that the business world is going to get rid of. And I'm so happy you're going to really dive into this thing is that the, the uh, someone's past is the definer or the decider of that person's future. Right. And I think it's, you know, you mentioned the United States earlier. I think it's, it's really been in some ways the first country where people's future was not determined by their family history. And I think that uh, this is such an incredible point here, right? So you, you've talked about get your plan, get your lever, and now the thing about the potential. So please, back to you, but I, I, I'm thrilled to hear you talk about this. And I really, really hope this is something that you and Category Pirates can pound some people over the head with and change this mindset about the, the past being the definer of the future. Well, and I, like you, um, am the benefactor of that paradigm of freedom, of agency, of pure possibility that is the United States. I'm an immigrant to this country. I got thrown out of school at 18. Uh, and I started my life and career with no money, no education, no contacts, no relationships, no nothing. And um, I was both given and I developed the opportunity and the United States was my platform. And uh, I've come a long way. I've, I've delivered a lot of newspapers in my time. <laughs> All right. So the next piece, next piece of this is okay. So um, we've decided our, we're going to commit to our own dominion and agency. We've decided we're going to do work that is meaningful and powerful for us where we can make a difference. And now we've looked for um, a lever so that we can um, um, put ourselves in a position to do meaningful work in places that matter. So now the question goes to, okay, so, um, um, hey, we got to put food on the family. And uh, listen, this is America. Why struggle? I grew up in an environment of struggle. Struggle sucks. 
I know what it's like to be eight years old and have the car stop working on the way to school because it's a piece of shit and it's February and it's cold out, right? So, so let's put some food on the table, or as we like to say in Canada, let's put some moose on the hood. So if you're going to put some moose on the hood, first, we got to realize we're not a candidate. Second, we got to look for an auctioneer, that person who will say, you know what? Uh, I think we can get Bob. Have you ever been to an auction, Bob? Yes, yes. They're fun, right? <laughs> They're wild, yeah. Yeah, why does the guy talk so fast, Chris? I don't know, but it's highly entertaining. And I'll, <laughs> I'll never forget years and years ago when I was a young man in my early 20s going to an auction in a small town outside of Toronto, Canada. And, uh, and this is what your auctioneer does for you in your personal uh, IPO. And I'll, I'll never, you know, certain experiences you have stick with you. And so I remember sitting there in the audience and, and there was some kind of a cabinet or something like that was the, was the thing being auctioned off. And he's doing the thing, I got all that stuff that they do, right? And he's doing his thing. And he's, of course, he's an older guy with a cowboy hat and a big belt buckle, you know, right out of central casting. And then all of a sudden he stops and says, ladies and gentlemen, I cannot believe what is happening here. I don't think you're seeing this piece the way I am, because frankly, we're on the wrong side of $1,000. And so the auctioneer sets the context mm -hmm. for the value. And that's what needs to happen if we're going to um, do a personal IPO. We also need to listen to certain kinds of people in our lives who are more auctioneer oriented. There are people in your life who say, oh, you can't do that. Oh, they'll never pay you to do, do that thing that you love. To, they'll never. No, no, no. We need to listen to the fewer people in our life who say, hey, you need to charge 10x more for that. That's incredible. All you need to do is educate the world on this value, on this vision that you have for this work that you want to do, and you'll do great. So we need to find our auctioneer. And sometimes we have to summon the courage to be our own auctioneer. And you know, this is somebody who's five years into your own personal IPO. At some point, you have to dig deep and like a potential client or partner or customer in the eye and say, uh, well, Susan, that's gonna be insert large amount of money here, a, a number that you're scared to say and look them straight in the eye and shut your mouth. And the, the first time somebody goes, okay, that seems reasonable. And you just asked a number that you thought was three times bigger than you'd ever get you know, I'll never forget, Bob, when uh, we got our book contract from HarperCollins for my first book. And it was a very meaningful amount of money. And I sat there and went, what, what, what? Yeah. You're going to pay us to do this thing that we love to do that we're doing for free anyway? Mm -hmm. And you're going to pay us that? And you're going to give us all this on the back end? Holy shit. <laughs> And anybody who's ever pulled off a personal IPO knows there's that moment where uh, you use your lever and, and you use your auctioneer. Sometimes it's you yourself and you look that person in the eye and they say, all right, we can do that. And Chris, sometimes the, uh, you know, whether it's the training ground, the proving ground, the, uh, you know, the uh, boot camp that you go through on the way to that is having to say no to people. Right. And they said, well, you know, I'd like to do something with it, but I can do it for this amount. And you have to say, you know what? Thank you for the offer. No, that's, that's just not going to work because you think of that coming from, I'm an entrepreneur. I got to be scrappy. I need to get revenue. Even if it's not ideal, I have to do this or that because right. You're, if you're going to be the auctioneer, what did the guy say? We're on the wrong side of a thousand dollars. So I am not, you know, I, I think on the way to getting to that, you got to be willing to say no. And I think, you know, you talk about this thing of agency and decision. I remember the first few times I did that and I walked out of there feeling, you know, I had no more money in my pocket than when I went in, but I sure felt more in charge, more confident and, you know, more certain that what I was doing was right. Uh, yeah, you have to, yeah, being, being willing and in some cases eager to say no. Yes. If you don't have a walkaway position, you have no position. So part of pulling off a personal IPO is you have to decide 
what kind of work you're going to say yes to and for what value. And if you pick the wrong clients or the wrong job, that's work that's not suited to authentically who you are and, or you do it for an amount of money that you don't think is commensurate with the value you provide, that's going to be a jackhammer in your head. That's just going to get louder and louder and louder over time. And it will cause, I know I'm no doctor, you know, how much time I spent in medical school, but my experience and the experience of many people that I know and love says when we trade our value, when we trade our agency, it causes pain, suffering, and disease. Now here's the other big aha here. When we do this, what we're doing with our personal IPO, just like a company, we're changing our investor base. So at a high level on Wall Street, this is an oversimplification, but um, there's two kinds of investors. There are value investors and there are growth investors. Value investors have a spreadsheet lens. Value investors look at the last 48 months worth of earnings and growth and cash flow and earnings per share. And they have spreadsheet models and that leads to a certain price that they're willing to pay. And, and they love dividends and, and away they go. And by the way, I'm not shitting on that. I, I have some of that in my portfolio. They tend to be less risky. And what you're paying for is the past in hopes that the future will be much like the past. This is where people get stuck in their careers. And often, as I, I hate to say it, our current employer views us through a lens of who we were, not who we are, and certainly not who we could be. And as a result, just like a quote value investor on Wall Street, they pay a low price and they pay a low price for consistency, safety, risk aversion, and they look to the past to determine what they're willing to pay today and into the future. Continuity, so, right? Correct. What I know from my own experience, from your experience, and the experience of many people we know, is for many, many people, that's a path to personal suffering. However, there are people in the world, just like there are investors on Wall Street, who invest in the future, who pay for potential. And so what you're doing when you pull off a personal IPO, whether it's working in a corporate environment, which is very, very valid. Um, can I tell you a story about this? Sure. So there's a woman I love dearly. Actually, she just had a baby, uh, making me a, an unwanted, crazy uncle to this beautiful little boy. <laughs> and she is a total rock star human being. And she's married to one of my best friends. And she's in her mid-30s. And she's an absolute genius finance person. And she will be the CFO of a major, important public company I would guess before she's 45, she's that, kind. you know, we all know it when you meet a Michael Jordan, you know, Venus Williams type person. This is, this is this woman. So um, when she was being recruited into her new job, I'm her agent. I'm her auctioneer, right? She calls me. She's telling me about the job and this and that and the other. And okay, great. And she wants to do it. And there's, she, so I'm her auctioneer. And uh, the lever she has in there is uh, a, a guy she worked for before as a CFO. So she's got it all lined up. So she says, okay, this is what they're putting on the table. And I said to her, let's just call her Phyllis. Phyllis, this is bullshit. We're on the wrong side of $1,000 here. <laughs> and she says to me, yeah, but Chris, I can't prove that I can do any of the things that you just said I can do because I've never done them before. And, you know, I know you believe in me and everything, but I'm a younger person. They were hiring her to help take this company public and to do this and do that and whatever. And, you know, plus or minus two thirds of the job was new for her, right? She's a younger person in her career. 
And I said to her, Phyllis, they're paying for your potential, not your past. If they wanted to have been there, done that person, they wouldn't have even sent you the email. They want a potential person, not a past person. And they need to pay for that potential. Because as you know, if you say the average person stays in a job roughly five years, you say you work from 25 to 65. Now, grade three math was the hardest 12 years of my life, but I think that's about eight trips to the plate. If you want to change the variables, you know, maybe we get 10 trips to the plate. Maybe you get six to the trips to the plate, but we don't get a lot of trips to the plate. And I said, you're at that point in your career where you've positioned yourself as a rock star. And if they wanted somebody who'd done this three times, you wouldn't even be in the mix. So make them pay for your potential. We're on the wrong side of $1,000 here. And I pushed her and I taught her to say the following. Well, you know, I, I love everything about this job and I want to do it. It's very empowering and exciting. And I'd love to go through all these, you know, learn a lot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. On the economics, however, I like my current job. They pay me really well. And so if I'm going to make this change, and I taught her to say these words, this, from an economic point of view, needs to be a life-changing event for our family. I said, Phyllis, can you say that? And she said, yes. And I made her say it. I said, pretend I'm Jimmy, the hiring manager. Say it. And I got her to repeat it and practice it with me. And she got the job and she got about 30 or 40% more than the original offer by standing her ground and making them pay for her potential. And the biggest shift in the mindset, Bob, was when she understood they weren't a value investor, they were a growth investor. In other words, she didn't have to prove that she had the experience because that's not what they wanted. They wanted potential. And then I helped her see they needed to pay for that potential. And so when we do a personal IPO, whether we're doing it in a corporate environment like Phyllis did, or whether we're doing it as a um, solopreneur, as a creator like you did and I did and so many others, we're swapping out our investor base from people who pay for our past to people who pay for our potential. Uh, I love that thing about swapping out the investor base, Chris. And you know that the parallel from when you taught Phyllis to say that has to be a life-changing event, right? Like a few minutes ago when you said you ask for something that's three times higher than you might ever thought, you say the number. And then as you said, you shut your mouth. This has to be a life-changing event. Stop. Not... But of course, if you feel it isn't, then, <laughs> and you know, whoop, all that work and all that, uh, the progress made. But Chris, you know, I, I don't know that uh, people get, get taught not to do that, but nobody, I think, is the, has done an effective job of sort of rallying around the flag to do it the way you've described it. So I, I think it's great. You're not running so much counter to things, it's just this is a new world. This is a new opportunity. I see, Chris, this, this chance now for, right, you know, the, these, this aspirational approach that you're describing so beautifully. We're at a point now where every company, right, from 15, 18, 24 months ago, wants to become like a digital type company on the, on the hiring side, you know, as they go through it. But they need a whole new set of tools to do the new things they need to do. They're going to work in different ways. They're going to engage customers in different ways. They're going to create, sell, market, uh, service people in entirely different ways. And this is the perfect, perfect, perfect moment, not just because this sort of cauldron we've all come through over the last 15 months, but also because as we emerge from that, the economic marketplace, the business marketplace, job opportunities, companies are desperate to find people who can help, like Phyllis, take them into this unknown future and do stuff they never did before. So your ideas are brilliant. I think at any time, I think for right here, right now, this is the absolute perfect uh, mindset for so many people to have. 
Thank you, Bob. And, and I think we're at the very beginning. Um, I recently met, and, and I can't talk about who it is. It's a, it's a company in deep, deep stealth mode. Um, well, you can company, tell me I'm a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> this is a company that is um, creating agency for software developers. Let me just put it that way. Uh, wow, wow, wow. And so, so we're going to see more and more um, digital technologies. You know, Substack is a great example for writers, right? Now, all of a sudden, writers can have agency and build their own digital businesses and disintermediate, uh, whether it's social media platforms or uh, publications who, who set the rules and who generally pay like shit. Well, now, as a writer, you can be your own creator and you can monetize yourself with your own personal IPO. And that's what podcasting is. Uh, and that's what many of these new creator platforms are. And so my point is, I believe we are going to see the balance of power change. More and more entrepreneurs are realizing that if they can, they can create new platforms that give people agency in their lives and in their careers, they can shift the balance of power from the people who dictate what the job is and how much it pays to the talent. And so really, I think we're at an incredible time. I think we're at a time where it behooves all of us who care about our lives and our work and the intertwining of the two. There's no such thing as our professional life and personal life. What's your office? You're sitting in your office. Last time I checked at your home, I'm sitting in my studio. It's above my garage. And by the way, if I had to go to a studio to do podcasts, it would destroy 30% of the value. I like that I can just walk in and here I am. You know, my cat Bean is playing right over here, right? And so, so the seminal questions are, what's agency worth to you? And if you're willing to consider this idea of a personal IPO, whether you go out on your own, like Bob Evans did, or whether what you do what my friend Phyllis did, which is essentially use a different mindset to create a job and an economic opportunity for herself that would not have been created if she had submitted to being a candidate. What's your agency worth to you? And then can you find an Archimedes and can you find an auctioneer and or be your own auctioneer and be willing to grab yourself by the hoo-hoo and say, okay, breathe deeply it takes courage to be legendary and go. Chris, beautifully done. Beautifully done. Very inspiring. Um, it's uplifting. It's positive. It's, uh, it's something for everybody, right? And maybe there will be some of us, you know, that decide, okay, that's a big thing. I'm, I'm ready to start thinking about it. I need to sort of go through my own training. I don't have Chris to train me like he trained Phyllis. I got to work. So maybe some people say I got to, two-year period to get to that point. So that's all fine, right? Do a 10-year, you know, whatever anybody wants, but more and more to seize that, uh, that, that sense of control, of ownership, of freedom about what your future is going to be like. I, I think it's fantastic. And the very best companies, I think, Chris, will be the ones that sort of start to understand this and say, okay, I better change how I think instead of trying to be more of a hard ass and, you know, bust these people down and show them, you know, what I can do. The best company is they can go to quickly whoop, pivot this around and say, Hey, it's a new world out there. I better adapt to it. Or I am going to go the way of some, you know, stinky old companies I used to laugh at. It's a, it's a great, great idea that lots of different people ought to listen to. Thank you. And I think if you're an employer, if you're an executive, you're a CEO, a CIO, a CDO, a, a UFO, um, I think it's profound as well. Command and control is melting in front of us. The Navy SEALs, you and I have, uh, have friends who are Marines, the legendary Christian animals, right? And, and you and I respect our military and know many of our military leaders, um, while they have structure, and they've historically been command and control. Um, Four-star General Stanley McChrystal has been on my podcast and explained that agency is the only way for this to work. This notion of self-organizing teams. Uh, a friend of mine is a special ops cop. 
and he's the leader of the squad. All they do is apprehend the worst people in the world every day. His service weapon is out three to five times a week. It's very heavy. It, as, as he says, we take down the worst people in our world on what will be the worst day of their, in, their, in their lives. And yes, he's the leader of the squad, but he has told me in great detail, they're a self-organizing team. When you watch them operate, you can't tell who's in charge. And so there's something legendary that happens when a small group of people come together with a shared sense of purpose and mission, who have some overlapping skills and who have some great um, differentiating skills. And they put that together and they're a self-organizing team. Because if you have that, the uh, extraordinary feeling of work is like nothing else before. And that's what we're moving to. And you know what? As much bitching as people in our generation have done about the couple generations behind us, I think they're opening our eyes to this YOLO approach. You only live once. So you know what? When I'm 30, I want to be happy. And when I'm 40, I want to be happy. And maybe I don't want to live. You know, Lily Tomlin said, the problem with the rat race is even if you win, you're a rat. Right. So may, maybe I don't want to live in a big city. Maybe I want to move to uh, Wyoming or Utah. Um, maybe I want to live closer to my parents. Uh, may, whatever you want to do. Right. We want the greatest thing a human being can have is agency and agency over our careers and professional life is a deep, profound sense of meaning, as evidenced by our earlier discussion about my farmer father in law. Yes. Yes. Well, Christopher, I, I trust as always, you've opened some eyes, ears, minds, hearts, souls, and, uh, and I would think also some new future opportunities for some people. So thank you for, uh, in your inimitable way, thank goodness, for um, sharing some great, great, great ideas. Thank you, brother. I love you. Love you, Christopher. Thanks a lot. Uh, we, I'm sure, folks, we're going to hear more about this, uh, this notion of uh, what was it, you know, your agency, your Archimedes, your architect, and so on. An interesting stuff. Chris is on his day game, clearly. But uh, thank you, my friend. And we'll see you next time. To all of you, thanks for being with us at Cloud Wars Live. Have a great one. So long. <laughs>